Let us uh, turn to the book of Hebrews. We begin our series of the book of Hebrews this morning, and I don't know how long it'll take. It'll take as long as Jesus walks us through it, and uh, we'll explore this great book of the New Testament. The reason I personally love this book is because it is so visual and full of beauty. Uh, it carries with it the, the pictorial history of the Old Testament. If you would consider that the Old Testament is full of physical representations of the kingdom of God and the throne of heaven. When God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he told him that you better be very accurate with your measurements because it is supposed to be an exact representation of the throne room of God. And so uh, my background is that I have a bachelor's in fine arts and a master's in fine arts and sculpting. And so I appreciate the fine arts and the beauty of the dress and the garments and the, the uh, furniture and the vessels and the tapestry and the beauty and splendor of all the craftsmanship that represented something spiritual. And the book of Hebrews is going to take us into that beauty and say, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because it's all just a picture of a reality that has now come. And so I want to take you there. So as we go to the book of Hebrews, there is one theme throughout the entire book. And I'm going to get you saying it over and over and over. Jesus is better. Amen. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus is better. So the glory of the Old Testament, the glory of uh, the angels, the glory of Moses, the glory of the priesthood, the glory of the law, the glory of the tabernacle. The writer of Hebrews is trying to drive one point home. What is it? Jesus is better. That's going to be so on your heart and mind that you're not, you're, you can't help yourself when people say, look at that, isn't that cool? You're going to go, mm, Jesus is better. Did you see that car? That thing's awesome. Jesus is better. Ooh, Jesus is better. Have you tasted this spirit? Oh, it's good. Mm, Jesus is better. <laughs> Taste him and know that he is good. Amen? Amen. So that's what the writer of Hebrews wants to accomplish this morning. We're going to take a look at that. Now, first of all, let's take a look at who the author is uh, concerning the the book of Hebrews. I need some help here, folks. Hallelujah. Just got to give me a little click. There we go. We're going to talk about the author. Now, um, for many years, historically, uh, Paul has been considered the author of the book of Hebrews. In your King James Bible, it, it says Paul. Uh, but in actuality, the original texts do not speak of the author. It doesn't have Paul as the author. So uh, as we study the book of Hebrews, there's some consideration as to who actually the author was. Many still contend that it is Paul because basically it holds the theology of Paul. The theology of Paul is throughout this epistle. So whoever did write it, whether it was Paul or someone else, it's definitely the teaching of Paul. Uh, some speculate the reason they say that it's probably not Paul, possibly not Paul, is because the eloquence of the Greek is so superior to Paul's other epistles. When Paul writes, his Greek writing is not as eloquent as the book of Hebrews. And some say, see, so it looks like someone just a little bit uh, more familiar with the Greek and a little better at it probably 
wrote this. Now, they, now Paul could have dictated it and had someone else write it. That's a possibility. But the thing is, throughout this entire epistle, there are Pauline sayings and theology throughout it. I'm not going to get that bent out of shape as to who wrote it. It could have been Barnabas as he traveled with Paul. It could have been Apollos who had been in taught and instructed by uh, Aquila and Priscilla and Paul. It could have been. It takes nothing away to consider who might have penned it. The key is, it's the theology of the Apostle Paul written for the Jews to, to understand. And so many times when you hear folks say, who wrote it, they'll say the writer of Hebrews. I may say Paul from time to time, and I may say the writer of Hebrews. Bottom line is, we know it's apostolic. We know it comes from the teaching of Paul. Many early Christian fathers, church fathers, Clement of Alexandria and Origen, the Council of Antioch, Eusebius, the Council of Hippo, and the Third Council of Carthage said Paul was the author. That's a lot of weight behind it. There is uh, much in the style, the phrasing, and the logical structure of this epistle that really does point to the instruction of Paul. So whether it's Paul's student or Paul, I think you get the point. We, we understand that Paul is the weight behind this. And who better than a rabbi among rabbis who sat under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of history, and who himself was a Pharisee and a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul was a great scholar and rabbi. And we know that God woke him up to the presence of Jesus Christ and brought him the mysteries of the new covenant to reveal. And that's the grandeur of the book of Hebrews. Now, I like what Origen says. Who wrote this epistle? Only God knows. Makes it simple. All right, now who's the audience? Who's the audience? I'm going to help you here. Who, who was the book of Hebrews written for? Huh? Yeah. Which is interesting because you, if you read some commentaries on this, uh, uh, people so many times apply this to Gentiles and, and certain aspects of it to all believers when he was writing to a specific group of people for a specific problem. And let me explain to you what the specific problem was. As the gospel of Jesus Christ is now being preached, we're in the 50s, 50 AD, 30, 40, 50 AD, after the crucifixion, and the gospel's being propagated, many in Jerusalem are getting saved. And as the book of Acts says, even the Levites and the priests are being saved. Many, in fact, the early church was all Jewish for the most part. All these Jewish converts are coming into Christ. And, and they're, they're understanding the revelation of who Messiah Jesus is. And so they're receiving him and accepting him, but something's happening in the Roman government. As Christianity begins to grow, Nero comes in around 60 AD, and he begins to bring great persecution against Christians. And so there's also persecution in the synagogues for those Jews who are starting to transfer over to Christianity. And so there is a double pressure on the Jewish Christian believer. He's getting threatened to be kicked out of the Jewish community, which is so tightly knit, which caused them to survive their Roman oppression. Secondly, there's oppression coming from Rome against Christians. That if you're a Christian, you'll be persecuted, even put to death. 
Now, the Jewish religion was protected under Roman law, but Christianity was not. Now, like most people and most believers, we go to the easiest thing. Don't we? Most people, brothers and sisters, face it are like water. We find the easiest route to take. We flow where it goes easy. And what was happening at that point in Christianity is these Christian Jews who said they were going to follow Jesus, they were going to accept him as their Lord and Savior and live for him and be baptized into surrendering their lives to him, began to consider, you know what, maybe we can have Jesus and the law too. Maybe we can go back into Judaism and kind of keep Jesus undercover and work it in and stay Jewish, stay in the synagogue, and stay protected. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, "Uh uh-uh, no way, can't be. And his main argument is, why go back when you've got something better? Jesus is better. And what are you going back to? Now that Jesus is here, everything within Judaism is empty and void. The reality came. So you want to crawl back into your shell where there's nothing there. Or will you live for Jesus Christ? That's the power of this book, and that's what's being spoken of. And again, what is the theme? Jesus is better. Oh, come on. Jesus Jesus is better. better. Yeah. We're going to look at this all throughout. We're going to look at the showbread. Oh, look at this food. Smells good. Looks good. But Jesus Jesus is better. We're going to look at the high priest and the intercession he made. But I want to tell you, he had sin himself. He had to go to sleep at night. But I want to tell you, our high priest, what? Is better. He's better. He's better. Judaism pointed to him. And now the reality is here. So let's understand that we have a better covenant. We have better promises. We have a better high priest. We have a savior, a greater messenger, a greater word, a greater deliverance, a greater salvation in Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do today is just keep bragging on Jesus. I can get into that, can you? If you don't know him, you're not going to be able to brag too long. The more you know him, you've got bragging rights. You can brag about what he did yesterday. You can brag about what he did 30 years ago for you. You can brag about what he's going to do. How many of you love Jesus? Then let's brag about him all day long. Let's brag about him. Don't you brag about good things? Amen. Jesus is better. Mm-mm. We went to Taco Bell last night, but guess what? Oh, hallelujah. Come on. <laughs> Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Let's get started. I've got this verse drummed into me from listening to Christian radio so often in Alexander Scorby. God, who in times past and in diverse manners spoke unto us through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his son Jesus. Does anybody remember those? You know, to buy the Bible on cassette. All right. God, who in diverse manners in times past, so in different ways and at different times, God spoke to his people Israel. But in these last days, has spoken by whom? His son. Right in the first verse, he says, Oh, Jews, you of the prophets, God spoke to you. 
You're the people of the oracles of God. God chose you out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God spoke to you at different times in your history through different prophets. How great Jeremiah was. How great Isaiah was. How great is Moses. They ain't nothing compared to Jesus. Right? Isaiah's good, but... Ezekiel's good, but... Oh, Joel is mighty, but Jesus. Moses is awesome, but it's his first line. That's his opening statement. Now, there's something very interesting that he's going to focus on, and that's this. But he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is better. Now, that is a very important title, son. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, to the Hebrew mind, they get that. To us in 21st century America, when we hear son, we think of a man and a wife coming together and birthing a child. But to the Hebrew writer, the reason he uses the term son and speaking of the son is because he's speaking of nature. The nature. If Jesus is the Son of God, he is of the same nature. Therefore, he has all the same attributes of God the Father, Jehovah. If God is omniscient, so is the Son, so is Jesus. If he is eternal, so is Jesus. If he is almighty, so is Jesus. If he's immutable, unchanging, so is Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to Israel. You've had your prophets, and they've spoken God's word. But God, Emmanuel, has come in the flesh. The very nature of who God is, his very word is now spoken unto you through the Son. Now let's go on. Verse 2. He says this. In these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. You see, the Son, the only begotten, the firstborn Son, and the reason that title in Colossians, firstborn, is given unto God, is not because God had sex with Mary, or had sex with an angel, or another spirit being, and had to create a little baby, Jesus. No, that is not Christianity. Firstborn, again, in Hebrew understanding, is a title which entitles you to the inheritance of all that Father has. And so, what he's saying is he's the heir of all things. In other words, all things come back to him. In the end, he's the end. He's the finisher. Oh, but what else did he manage to say in that sentence? Through whom all things, what? Began. That sounds like a title to me. If he's the beginning and he's the end, he's the what? Alpha and the Omega. He made all things and all things were made for him and by him and through him. He's all in all. I mean, this earth is glorious, but Jesus is better. So that's what he's saying. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. We had to wait 
thousands of years before the revelation of Messiah would come. And we thought too small of the Messiah. We thought Messiah would simply be a political leader who would set Israel free from Rome. We thought Messiah would set up the throne of David and rule and reign over the little territory we have. We thought too small of Messiah. But when he was unveiled and when Messiah was revealed, we found out he's God himself in the flesh. He made everything, and everything will return to him. He's the beginning. He's the end. He is the nature of God in flesh. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. He showed up. God showed up. Praise God. And guess what, brothers and sisters? If he showed up the first time, what can you count on? He will show up again. He will. And whatever you have here, whatever you have now, how great and glorious your situation, can I tell you something? When he comes, guess what? It's better. It just keeps getting better. Amen. Let's keep reading. He goes on to brag about it. He says he's the radiance. He is the radiance of God's glory. When you look at the sun, you think you're seeing the sun. What you're actually seeing is the radiance of its light, its image, has been sent from that planet. It is traveling at the speed of light, coming into your eye gates. And what you're seeing is the radiance of that thing. And when we approach God, we are seeing Christ, the radiance. That all that issues forth, begotten forth out of Father, is Son. His word, His love, His grace, His character. His fruit, his nature, everything flowing out of us, is flowing out of him, comes through Christ. Now that should be flowing out of us too. The radiance of Christ should be flowing out of us. So that when people look at us, what do they see? Jesus. He said he's the radiance of God's glory. And I love this, the exact representation of his being. Now that's a very exacting word, exact. The exact representation of his image. That word in the Greek, representation, means a stamp. It is an exact replica of the image of God in its exactness. Every jot, every tittle, he is exactly what God the Father is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, no word have I spoken of my own accord. I've spoken every word that Father has told me to speak. No act have I done that is of my own. Every act I have performed has been of my Father. What I saw my Father do, I did. He is the exact representation. When you want to understand who God is, look at Jesus. When you're witnessing to other people and they go, I don't understand God. He seems mean. He seems this. Have them read the Gospels and tell them, if you look at Jesus, see his character, he's revealing Father. See, people look to Jesus and they say, he's such a nice guy. So what's wrong with the father? Why is he so grumpy? Why is he so angry all the time? Throws lightning bolts and hurts people. Why does he do that? What's wrong with him? But Jesus is love, peace, and joy. Hello, my people, I love you. Your theology and doctrine is incorrect if you would say Jesus is nicer than God because Jesus said, I am so transparent of who I am. I am the exact representation of Father. What you like about me, you like about Father. What you see me do, Father does. That can help you in your doctrine too. Because if Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, Jesus therefore had to reveal every aspect 
of the Father. There is nothing hidden any longer of what God's nature is like. Did God hurt and wound people? Well, did Jesus do that in his ministry? Did he hurt people? Did he wound people? Did he put sickness on you? I don't like you. Ugh, be gone. Did he do that? No, but yet some people have that concept of father, don't they? Now, if Jesus was going to have to represent father exactly, he would have to have done that while he was on earth. So what you see with Jesus is the exact representation of father. When he saw sick people, what did he do? He healed them. When he saw people in sin, what did he do? Forgave them. Now that is Father. That is Father's heart. So Jesus brought forth the exact identity, character, nature, and representation of the Father. Oh, you had prophets in the past speak to you. Come on. Jeremiah's all quivery and scared because of the look on people's faces. I don't want to speak. Isaiah's crying, oh, I've got unclean lips. You don't hear Jesus saying any of that, do you? Hmm? Daniel having to repent before God for his people and for himself. Not, not our high priest, not Jesus, not our prophet. We've got a better word. Perfection. Right. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. We go on and he says this, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Colossians 1.17 says, through him all things consist. In other words, all things are held together. Do you know that every atom and every molecule, uh, within an atom you have neurons and protons, is that right? Yes. Neutrons, what, what am I saying? Electrons. Neutrons, electrons, those little balls. Right. <laughs> Let me get technical. Spinning, right, rotating, orbiting, and each little atom and molecule that billions of them make us all up and make the furniture up and make everything up, guess what? Do you know why they stick together? Nobody knows. Scientists haven't figured that out. Do you know why? Because Jesus said, stay together. That's it. He literally says, all things consist by the power of his word. When Father said, let there be light, Jesus went, light! The word spoken, it is. Everything consists. Everything holds together and consists because Jesus said so. This world is not going to be destroyed by nuclear war. It's not going to be destroyed by man. It's going to be destroyed when Jesus says, time's up. That's it. It's over. It's not a fat lady singing. It's when Jesus says, it's done. Everything consists by his authority and his power. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Can you trust him? Yeah. So you know what that means? Better than every atom and every molecule in planet Earth is whom? Jesus. Jesus. He's better than creation. He's better than the physical realm. He's better than all things created. He's the best. He's better than everything. We've got to brag on him. We go on. He goes on. He says... After he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, there's a lot to talk about. We'll get into that later in the book. But what do you do when you finish a job? You're done. You're done. The sin issue is done. Who's better than sin? Jesus. It's done. We can be fully reconciled with the Father. He sat down in heaven, for so he became much superior to the angels 
as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, what name did he inherit that's superior to theirs? Son. And we'll get into that in a second. Now he goes on. He says, you know, your prophets, Jesus is better. Can I prove it to you? I'll tell you why Jesus is better than your prophets. He's the son, the very nature of God. In him, all things consist. He's the exact representation of the father, uh, uh, the supreme image of who he is. He dealt with sin, sanctified it, cleansed it, and sat down. That's how good he is, and that's how much better he is than your prophets. Oh, and by the way, you love your prophets. Prophets are great men of God, but even the Hebrews understood angels were more powerful than men. Angels were messengers of God. Gabriel, Michael would fight for Israel. And angels bring the word of God. They're powerful. They're superior. Oh, and guess what? Concerning angels, Jesus is better. He's way better. <laughs> uh, 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 Jesus is better than angels. The name given unto him, which is superior to the name of, for angels, is Son. Again, why? Because the name that is superior is son, which means he is of the same nature. Therefore, he was never created. He is eternally the son, eternally the word. He always was, always is, and always will be. That's greater than an angel. Do you know angels had a beginning? In fact, guess who created it? Every angel there ever was. Jesus. Whether things Physical or in the spirit realm, past, future, present, all of it, life, death, all, he created all things. There's nothing that is that wasn't created by him. So he is therefore automatically what? Superior than everything else. He's better than angels. Israel loved angels, especially at this time in their history. They had a, an elaborate understanding of angelology, specific angels for this and that and this and that. I want to tell you what, if, if, if in your religion, if in your faith, there is anything that you put on a level close to Jesus, you're dead wrong. You are wrong. There's no co-redeemer, by the way. There's no one else you should pray to. When you have direct access to God himself, what are you wasting your time for? Talking to somebody else. He is superior above all things. Now, we'll go on. And he's now going to tell you why Jesus is so much better than the angels. In fact, he says this, for which of the angels did God ever say this? When did he ever tell an angel, and he begins to quote the Psalms, when did he ever say to an angel, you are my son, today I have become your father. In other words, as the word of God put on flesh and dwelt into the earth, the understanding you and I could comprehend in our mortal being is that he would be as a son and father would be as a father. He had to put it in that dimension because you and I can't get it any other way. He said, you are my son, today I've become your father. In other words, all that's mine is yours and in your authority and you shall inherit it and bring all things in this earth under your authority. He goes on, when did he ever say to to an angel, I will be his father, he will be my son. When did he ever say that to an angel? Jehovah Witnesses, you say Jesus is an archangel, Michael. You're wrong. You're wrong. For he is not an angel, and the writer of Hebrews says he's not an angel, because he never said, you're my son, to an angel. 
We go on. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. How many angels? All God's angels worship him. Every single angel that was ever made had to bow a knee before Jesus Christ. I think that irritated Satan. Every angel had to bow a knee. And when I, again, let's remember what begotten means. It doesn't mean uh, that he was created in heaven somehow. His firstborn means his preeminent one. His preeminent one. He made all angels bow. Now, what does God say about worship? How many gods can you worship? You are only to worship one God. There will be, he said, I will share my glory with none other. Thou shalt not worship any other gods. Right? God himself would have violated his own law if Jesus is not God. You get that? Because Jesus commanded every angel to worship Jesus. In fact, when Satan told Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus said, you shall not bow to any other god but God the Father. You shall serve him only. You shall serve him only. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So Jesus is saying, you cannot worship anyone else but God. What happens when Thomas falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God? What did Jesus say? We don't know, but I think it's, you got that right. <laughs> what happened when John in the book of Revelation bowed before an angel that was showing him everything to worship him? The angel said, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up! You don't worship me. I am like you. You worship the one and only. And so we see in the book of Revelation, eternally we shall forever worship whom? Jesus. Because he is God. And so every angel, you think the angels are great? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now let's go on. He, he, he's got to keep bragging. Now, concerning angels, he says this about them. He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. He made them that way. He created that the, them that way. He's comparing and contrasting now. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's a reference to Jesus, the Messiah. And in fact, Jesus used that same verse to deal with the Pharisees. When they were trying to understand Messiah and, and understand who he is and what he's supposed to be, they couldn't grasp the height and the depth and the grandeur of who the Messiah was standing right in front of them. So Jesus asks them this question, say, uh, who do you think the Messiah is and who is he the son of? And they go, why, King David, of course. And he says, oh, King David, then why do scriptures say, and he quotes this scripture, 
Why does Scripture say your throne, O God, will be forever and ever, and a scepter of justice will be your kingdom? Uh, therefore, God, your God, has set you above his companions. Do you know what the reply of the Pharisees was in Matthew 22? It says this, Not one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> I love that. What did he prove by this? That Messiah is Son of God and God in the flesh. If King David, Messiah is supposed to come through the lineage of King David, he would therefore be a son. How is it that King David would also call him his God? Only through a virgin birth, only as we understand Scripture, could that be fulfilled. Now, we go on. He continues to talk about the Son. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. That's eternality. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. There's angels that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And in fact, it says that the church, we the elect, we will come and we will judge the angels. But concerning Jesus, he's eternal. He's God. Everything created, he might fold up like a picnic blanket and throw it out. And say, let's have a new heavens and a new earth. But he remains the same forever. Are you getting how good Jesus is? He's better. What about him? He then goes on and says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. For your feet. God shares his glory with no man. For Jesus to sit at the right hand of God literally means he is the saving arm of Jehovah. He is Jehovah Yahashua, Jehovah's salvation. He is the saving arm of God. He is the right hand of God. He is the mercy of God. He's the love of God. He's the grace of God. He is the salvation of God, the reconciliation of God. He is the judge. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the light. He is the life. He's everything. When you look to the throne of heaven, you will see Jesus. Now, what angel are you going to start talking to now? Forget about it. I love that at the end of that verse. Because at the end, when he says, what angel did he ever say this to? Thy throne, O God, is for everlasting. I will make your enemies your footstool. Right? He says all these citations about Jesus, about Messiah, and at the end, there's a question mark. And in my book, it's like, huh? Come on! Give me an answer! Is he superior to angels or not? Yeah. Isn't it funny how the world's interested in angels and not interested in Jesus? Mm -mm -mm, they're aiming way too low. Because there's no accountability to angels. They know they're there. They know that there's a supernatural. They know there's a spirit realm. But they don't want to acknowledge Jesus. Isn't it interesting that we can, in public discourse and in public display, you can say God all you want. I pray to God. I speak of the God of our fathers. I speak God. Let's pray to God. Oh, I'm praying for you, for God. God bless you. But the minute you say Jesus, hold the bus. Pull the editors in. Get that off the air. There's one name that offends all humanity. It's Jesus Christ. 
The devil hates that name. He wants to eliminate that name. But I'm, I've got news for you, devil. Nice try. <laughs> and then he closes with this. Concerning those angels you Hebrews are all hepped up about. You got your prophets, you got your angels. He says, you know what angels are? They're all ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Christians, we employ angels. They work for us. They're supposed to do what Father bids them to do on our behalf. You think angels are superior to the Lord? Come on. Don't get caught up in angels. He is the greatest. He is the best. Jesus is what? Better. That's the opening theme, brothers and sisters. Jesus is better. So don't look back. Hebrews, don't look back. Those who look back want to go back. You remember Lot's wife, what happened to her? Walk away. Walk away from that and don't look back. How many of you get entangled with sin once again? Why? Because what do we do? We look back. Don't look back. Because Jesus is better. What does Jesus say? In, in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll get to it, but he says, cast your gaze, your eyes, fix your eyes on me. Why? He's better. Jesus is better. How many of you know Jesus is better? Jesus is better than alcohol. How many of you know that? Amen. Jesus is better than drugs. Jesus is better than illicit sex. Jesus is better than the best high you can get off of any kind of chemical or any kind of fix or any kind of high. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Look, brothers and sisters, when we look back to something inferior, what an offense it is to our Lord. Is your lifestyle better than serving Jesus? How could it be? He's better than everything. He's my greatest high, my greatest hope, my greatest wish. Jesus is better than everything. Better than all that we could ever attain. Jesus is better than a raise at work, although we could use it. Jesus is better than a job, although we could use it. Jesus is better for the bigger house. He's better than the bigger car. He's better than the nicer clothes. He's better than a better husband. He's better than a better wife. He's better than anything else. He is better than everything. He's superior to all things. Don't look back. Why do you want to go back to Moses? Why do you want to go back to the prophets? Why do you want to go back to angels? Why do you want to go back to the law? Why do you want to go back to sin? Why do you want to go back to all that you were in your own ability? Oh, God help us. We don't think he's better enough. We are not overwhelmed by who he is. This week, brothers and sisters, we have got to put that in our heart, put it in our mouth, and everything you see that looks good, you just say, Jesus is better. The Bible's full of it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What he's trying to say is better than anything you've ever eaten, God tastes better. Higher than you've ever been, he's higher. The best experience you ever had, he's better. Oh, come on. We have got to say it. Say it with me. Jesus is better. One more time. Jesus is better. Hallelujah.
Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, you're better than everything. Everything. Oh, God, you're better than all that we could comprehend. You're the best. You're the best. It's that simple, brothers and sisters. This message is that simple. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everything. Worth everything. And for everything. Let's worship.